Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to tell you about one of my best friends. Uh, We met when we were in college, and shortly after college, we were in each other's weddings. He is one of the finest human beings I have ever known. He is brilliant, he is kind, he is gentle, he is caring, he is thoughtful, he is absolutely hilarious, he is the craziest dancer any wedding reception has ever experienced, he's very talented and knows the words to every single Barry Manilow song ever written, and is all too happy to sing all of them at karaoke whenever asked. He also does a mean Sir Mix-a-Lot Baby Got Back, by the way. It's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> he is a phenomenal father, a loving and loyal husband. He is just fabulous. I, I can't possibly say more kind things about Sean. And a few years ago, Sean got sick. And nobody knew what was going on, and so they did a bunch of tests, and they discovered that Sean has this very rare autoimmune disorder. In fact, he's among a very small handful of adults that have ever been diagnosed because it's a genetic, and it usually shows up in children who then don't live long enough to be adults. So he's something of a medical anomaly, if you will. He had a bone marrow transplant as part of his treatment plan, one of perhaps the most brutal things that you could ever possibly do to a human body. And yet, nevertheless, he is still prone to every kind of cancer you can imagine. And over the last several years, he has endured surgery after surgery, treatment after treatment for, for cancer after cancer. And it's not fair. It doesn't make sense. He is a good man. One of the best men I have ever known. He's 37 years old. And it sucks. Because it doesn't make sense. And so welcome to the book of Job. The book of Job, which we're going to be digging into over the course of this month, is one of my most and least favorite books in the Bible. Because much like the book of Revelation, the book of Job uh, is really easy to misunderstand, to misread and misinterpret and therefore to misuse. But if you dig into it, it can in fact be full of very good news. A little bit of of background to the story. Uh, We don't really know where the book of Job came from. We don't know when it was written or by whom or when or where. Uh, We know it's really, really old. um, And most scholars would say it comes from at least two different sources that then got sort of woven together. Maybe, Maybe more than that, but at least two. In its original form, the book of Job is a whole bunch of poetry. It's a long, long, long sustained poetic dialogue between Job, who is an innocent man who suffers greatly, and his friends, and then eventually with God, as Job and his friends try to figure out why is this happening. 
It's a lot of poetry. It's kind of weird. It's often very beautiful, but it's strange and hard to understand. And so it's pretty clear that at some point later on, someone came along and was uncomfortable with just sort of leaving it at that. And so decided to try and wrap it up in a pretty easy bow. And so they took this old folk story, this folk tale, and tacked it on at the beginning and the end to try and sort of frame this poetry to to make it make sense. But here's the problem. Much like pretty much every attempt to try and make sense out of other people's suffering, it kind of just makes it worse. If you don't know the story, here it is in a nutshell. We heard part of it, but I'll kind of tell the whole thing. This story that was tacked on to try and frame and explain the poetry of Job goes something like this. God and Satan are hanging out up in heaven one day, because that happens. They're hanging out, and God looks down and he says, Look at Job. He loves me. He really loves me. Isn't that great? And Satan says, Well, of course he loves you. He's rich, right? He's got everything. He's got like thousands and thousands of animals. He's got a beautiful wife, ten awesome children. He's got everything going for him. Of course he loves you. What do you think would happen if that changed? Now, essentially, the question that that Satan is asking here is a sort of chicken or an egg thing, right? Does Job love God? Is Job faithful? Because God has given him a bunch of stuff... Or has God given Job a bunch of stuff because Job is faithful? But what's the problem with that question? What is the assumption underneath that question? Well, the assumption is that stuff, which we call blessings, is somehow connected to your faith. That you get good stuff if you do the right thing. Now, that may or may not sound like it makes sense to you, but I guarantee you, most of us have said something like that before. That 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 assumption somehow resides in most of us. It's what happens when you look out at your beautiful spouse and perfectly well-behaved children and your manicured lawn and your two uh, perfectly operational cars and, and the lovely neighborhood that you live in, and you say, I... I am so blessed. Right? So what happens if that's not your story? Does that mean you're not blessed? So what does that mean? Well, anyway, that's the story. And so God says, all right, well, let's, uh, let's mess around with them a little bit and see what happens. And so all of his stuff disappears. Somebody steals all of his animals. Others are burned up in a fire. All ten of his children are killed in a tornado while they're partying. And then his whole body is covered in festering, pussy sores. He is destitute, covered in pus, sitting in dust and ashes. His wife thinks he's crazy because throughout all of this, 
he remains faithful. He keeps praising God. Getting a little confused along the way, but he loves God. And so his wife leaves him because he's a chump. He's all alone. And his friends come over. And then they start trying to explain to him what's happening. Which was a terrible idea. That's the poetry part. And then after 40 chapters of this conversation in poetry, then we hear the end of the story that gets placed on the poetry to exchange it or to explain it. And and basically what happens in the end is Job is faithful, and so he gets all his stuff back. Twice as much stuff as he had before. His wife comes back, his brothers and sisters, his kids are still dead. But he gets ten more kids, and the, the replacement ones are even better than the first ones, so it's okay. And it's a happy ending. Everyone lives happily ever after. That's the story. Now, I hope I'm not the only person in the room who finds certain elements of that story a little bit disturbing. If you don't find some element of that story at least a little bit disturbing, can we talk afterwards? (laughs) It is weird. On the surface, if we just take this at face value, this tells us some real creepy stuff about who God is how God works, and why people like my best friend in the world suffer. And I'm not buying it. And here's the good news. I don't have to. And neither do you. If it works for you, that's fine. But if it doesn't, listen up. There is a a growing trend among biblical scholars who look at the book of Job and say, this is so absurd, it has to be ironic. That, That in fact, this story belongs to a long tradition of protest literature. That that in fact, the book of Job is meant to, to stand in the face of those who would show up in the midst of your suffering and try and tell you how it was your fault, or your parents' fault, or your neighbor's fault, or try and, and, and explain away why children get sick, or why spouses die in their 40s. That, that in fact, this book stands right in the center of Scripture. It's nestled right next to the Psalms, that beautiful collection of poetry that give voice to both the, the best and worst of what we feel about the world. Right there next to the Psalms is this voice that stands in opposition to every easy answer that someone might give for why things happen in your life and in the world. Because all of those easy answers fail when the going gets tough. They are are salve at best that slopped over the the depth of suffering and challenge and and, and terror that we feel and, and they don't ultimately hold water. They might make us happy for a couple minutes but they fall apart. Everything does not happen for a reason.
even though you hear that all the time. Sometimes things happen that no one can explain. And every attempt to do so just twists the knife. You see, when Job's friends first showed up, they did the right thing. When Job's friends first showed up, they just sat with him. They didn't say a word. They were not afraid of his suffering. They were not afraid of the pus festering from his sores. They just sat with him in dust and ashes in his suffering. For seven days and seven nights, they said nothing. It wasn't until they started talking that things went downhill real quick. Because in the midst of things that cannot ever make sense, sometimes just showing up is all that we can do. And often it is a great gift. The next time you have a friend who's suffering... Resist the temptation to just start talking. Just show up. Shut up. Bring a casserole if you want. But be present. Because ultimately, in this world that unravels so easily and quickly, all that makes sense is that we're in this together. Desperate for the presence of a comforting touch of a silent witness that, yeah, this sucks. But we'll get through it. Somehow, all will be well. And here's the thing. Ultimately, that's what God does, too. You see, one of the things that the book of Job does is it unravels this bizarre notion that God is just hanging out up in the heavens, playing with us, toying with us, like like pieces on a chessboard, moving us around, testing and tempting, just to see what we'll do. That's not who God is. God comes into our lives, shows up in the midst of things we cannot understand, brings God's whole presence to bear and says, I'm here. And we will always be here. And we'll get through this together. And that, brothers and sisters, is what we meet in this place every time we gather. You see, we don't come here to give thanks and praise to a God who sits in the heavens and just messes with us for fun. We come here to be in the presence of one who shows up. Who shows up and brings God's whole self into our lives. That's what we celebrate in those waters. That's what we taste at this table. That's what we feel when we embrace one another in the peace of Christ, that's what it means to have a God so close that we are indeed never alone. In the midst of things we cannot understand, things that may never ever make sense, we are never alone. And God will be with us, with all of us, forever no matter what. And thanks be to God for that. Amen. Amen.